Aren't you thankful someone told you about the gospel? You don't know what the gospel is. It's the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The only God, the only so-called deity that died and didn't stay dead. You know why I choose Christianity? Because my God's alive. I don't choose any other false belief, false doctrine, because their leaders, their deities, their little G gods, well, they had a funeral and they stayed in the casket. My God rose again. And we'll celebrate that in a few weeks right here at Fellowship Baptist Church. Excited about that. Well, if you uh, prayed for me, which I got several text messages last week saying you're praying for me and my family as we were ministering to the Northway Baptist Church in Scottsdale, Arizona, the church that we planted out of our church where the Vought family serves. They've been serving for a little over five years. They had a big friend day there, and so Jenny and I sang and I preached, and they had over 100 people at their church on that day, and four people in the service trusted Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. To Him be the glory for that. Thank you for praying. Our pastor today is also in Arizona. We typically in the spring take back-to-back vacations and kind of partner them up with ministry trips. And he's preaching um, at, a, at a, another church plant in Maricopa, Arizona today. And so be praying for him and my mom as they're ministering to that church. And then some of you uh, in, that have been a part of Fellowship Baptist Church for quite some time will recognize the name I'm about to mention that we need to pray for. And if you don't recognize the name, I want to invite you to write it down and pray for him and his family. His parents are members of our church. Uh, Rick and Jackie Grant's son, Derek, I was uh, raised with him here at Fellowship Baptist Church. He was working, works for DCP in the Oklahoma City area, was working on out in the field. And uh, I don't know all the details, but some type of engine he was working on literally exploded um, in his face, almost like a grenade. Had it been six inches to the right, he would have lost his life instantly. Uh, but the Lord spared his life. They life flighted him from the middle of a field to the OU Medical Center. And they've already performed one surgery. He's had, he has many, many broken bones. He has shrapnel that went into his body and, and open wounds and uh, chipped teeth. And I mean, you can imagine, looks like a wounded soldier almost. But God was good to spare his life. Be praying for him as he has several surgery, surgeries ahead of him. And again, for those that have been part of our church for a long time, you'll recognize that name. And I knew you'd want to be able to pray for him today. If you brought your copy of God's Word, turn to Mark. Chapter 2, Mark chapter 2. We're going to preach again tonight, and I want to invite you back at 6.30. We're going to close our series with the very last message out of the book of Philippians tonight. And you're going to learn what a blue Lego has to teach us about God's gracious provision. You'll want to be here to learn about a blue Lego, okay? And uh, I think it'll be a blessing to you. So come back for that last message tonight out of Philippians at 6.30. But this morning... We're going to be out of Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. If you didn't bring the Bible, it'll be on the screen. If you brought your Bible, I want you to look at it so that you're not taking my word for it. Mark chapter 2 and verse number 13. And he, that's Jesus, went forth again by the seaside, and all the multitude resorted unto him, and he taught them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the receipt of custom, and said unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. And it came to pass that as Jesus sat at the meat in his house, many publicans and sinners sat also together with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eat with publicans and sinners, 
They said unto his disciples, How is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he saith unto him, unto them, They that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The title of the message today is this. Through the eyes of a doctor into the world of a sinner. Through the eyes of a doctor into the world of a sinner. I want you to imagine several scenarios as we open up our message today. I want you to imagine that every time you go to Walmart, which unfortunately you only have one choice of Walmarts here. And sorry, ladies. Sorry, that's a sore subject. Imagine that every time you go to Walmart to buy groceries or home supplies, you see the same cashier. This cashier stands out to you because she seems to be in the gothic culture. You know, black hair, black clothes, black fingernails, black lipstick, piercings everywhere on her nose, lips, ears, and eyebrows, scattered tattoos. You've actually had her check out your groceries the past three times you've been there. She doesn't seem to make eye contact with you as she checks your groceries out and asks for your money. You can tell she's socially awkward and a bit disengaged. And you wonder, the third time you've been through her line, should I strike up a conversation with her? I mean, you don't really know what to do with the whole gothic bit, and you don't know whether she'd give you a weird look and a cold shoulder. Should you try to be friendly? Maybe introduce yourself, ask her how long she's been working at Walmart, ask her if she enjoys it. Should you? My answer would be yes, you should. By all means, I would say move into her world. Make a comment one day about how you've been through her line the past three times and have never introduced yourself, then give her your name. The next time you come back to Walmart, look for her. If she's there, then check out your groceries through her line, even if there's a shorter line available, and joke around with her about, hey, this is the fourth time I've been through your line, and just see if it makes her smile. Why? Why move into her world? You know why? Because with the eyes of a doctor, you see a hurt that God can heal. You see an anger and an alienation because maybe of sexual abuse from a stepfather, a brother, an older boyfriend, but you see through that to the heaviness and the sadness of her heart, and with the eyes of a doctor, you see a hurt that God can heal. I want you to imagine another scenario. There's a man at work. Everybody shakes their head at this man. He's been divorced a couple of times, and both of his ex-wives are suing him for past child support. He's a deadbeat dad, way behind on his child support, sending just a little bit every so often. He's been living with another woman and her small child, but a couple weeks ago he slapped her around pretty good, and the cops came and balled him up. She's kicked him out. She now has a restraining order against him. He's currently living in one of those cheap motels that you can rent by the month. Everybody at work's well aware of his reputation, and so nobody really talks to him very much. They just talk about him. You've often wondered, as a child of God, should I be nice? Should I engage in conversation? Should I even offer to take him to lunch or sit down in the break room and have lunch with him? And if I do, what would I even talk about? You notice, remember we're imagining, you notice he's wearing a Dallas Cowboys hat to work just about every day. That's your favorite team too, meaning you need to get saved. 
Maybe you could strike up a lunch conversation with him about the Cowboys. I mean, there's a risk that you'll be criticized and misunderstood if your coworkers see you talking with him. So should you really risk that? Should you invite him to lunch? Should you sit down at his table in the break room? And my answer would be absolutely. By all means, you should move into his world. You should go to lunch with him. Maybe talk about your shared frustrations with the Cowboys owner, Jerry Jones. Surely you have some. Talk about how Jason Witten's coming out of retirement, right? Why move into his world? Because with the eyes of a doctor, you see a hurt that God can heal. You see a bitterness at life. You see failing at relationships. You see blaming others instead of knowing how to change himself. You sense his fear of the future. He has no money. He has a criminal record on the books. And you sense his desperation over being all alone in a world so big. And with the eyes of a doctor, you see a hurt that only God can heal. Imagine your company has a co-ed softball league and they're looking, looking for a couple extra players. They hear you play and so they ask if you're interested and you do play and be honest, you're pretty good at it. You, you like the feeling of connecting with the pitch and running down a fly ball and just the competitive nature of city league softball. But you're not sure if you want to play because you're well aware of how the guys on the team drink a lot before and after the game and you've kind of left that lifestyle behind. You've heard about how crude the guys talk about the women on the other team, and you just don't like to objectify women. You want to deal with all that just for a game? Should you play? Well, I would suggest that you consider it. By all means, move into their world. I've learned you don't have to drink with them to play with them. And you don't have to objectify women to fit in. Why move into their world? Because with the eyes of a doctor, you see hurts that God can heal. You see that their crude speech is merely a disguise for their inward insecurity. And you know deep down that their immature and party-like attitudes that you used to display before you were a child of God are only a result of them looking and searching for something to fill their heart of emptiness. And with the eyes of a doctor, you see the hurts that God can heal. Church in life, in life, you either have the eyes of a doctor or you have the eyes of a judge. The eyes of a judge see choices that God should punish. The eyes of a judge see a gothic girl, a deadbeat dad, a foul-mouthed teen, and leave us thinking, why should I move into their world? Why should I have anything to do with them? But hear me, the eyes of a doctor see hurts that God can heal. I wonder this morning, do you tend to shun the disreputable? Those whose lifestyle is questionable and different than yours? Do you shut yourself off from them and have nothing to do with, this, with their world? Do you leave them in their own anger and in their own despair, their ignorance, their loneliness, and their vulnerability? Or do you tend to move into their world, talk with them and laugh with them and eat with them and play with them and be their friend? I'm asking you, do you look at them through the eyes of a judge seeing choices that God should punish? Or do you look at them through the eyes of a doctor seeing hurts that God can heal? These are the kind of questions that Mark chapter 2 forces us to ask. In our passage we see Jesus moving into the world of someone considered disreputable. Someone whose lifestyle was questionable to other people. His name was Levi. He's a tax collector. But Jesus invites this disreputable man to be part of his group. 
And through Jesus' example, he's saying to us today, hey, move into the world of sinners as I do. With the eyes of a doctor, seeing the hurts that only God can heal. The story tells us, look at verse 13, let's get into it. He went forth again by the seaside, and all the multitude resorted unto him, and he taught them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the receipt of custom. And he said, follow me. And he, that's Levi, arose and followed him. Now look up here for a second. Jesus is coming out of the city of Capernaum. If you study your geography, it's on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. That means that this particular toll station that Levi was working at was one that was very, very, very busy because it intercepted all the traffic and commerce coming across into Herod's territory, King Herod's territory. In fact, it was on the road between Rome and Egypt. So it was like a major interstate of our day. Levi's job, as he was sitting at what verse 13 calls the receipt of custom, was to collect tolls. So much per wagon cart, so much per mule, so much per camel. And then he was to import the taxes of anyone transporting goods with him. So much for grain, so much for garments, so much for fish. There would have been a couple other tax collectors working with him at that toll booth. And then there would have been a couple soldiers standing by to make sure everyone cooperated. The taxation process in the New Testament day was oppressive. Listen, there, there, there were no posted toll cost or tax rates. You know, when you're driving down the interstate, a toll road... You get one of them tickets. And generally, you can know by the base on how far you're going or the size of your vehicle exactly how much you're going to pay when you get to the toll booth. Well, they didn't have that in this day because they were corrupt. A guy like Levi would come out, he would count your carts, he would poke around in your sacks, he would check out all your goods, and then, and then he would tell you how much you had to pay. And you can bet that like all Roman tax collectors, he would charge you so high that he could pay King Herod his due, then he could, he could pay himself his own due on top of that. Illegally. And if you didn't cooperate, he had soldiers to make you cooperate. And you better believe he collected enough to pay them as well. All that to say this, the merchants of Jesus' day hated Levi. You can be certain that the townspeople wanted nothing to do with him because he was no better than a thief. Tax collectors like, like Levi, I learned this, they were so disreputable that they weren't even allowed to give their testimony in court because they couldn't be trusted to tell the truth. I think it's safe to say that Levi, this man that Jesus was interested in, I don't think he spoke at too many career days at local elementary schools. And this is why it's so shocking when Jesus came along and moved into Levi's world, inviting him to be one of his actual disciples. And he said, follow me. And that's exactly what Levi did. He followed him. When Jesus said, follow me, he wasn't giving them an invite to Easter. He was saying, leave your profession, leave your old life, and come and be a full-time preacher. Follow me. And that's what he did. And it changed Levi's life so much that several days later, the text tells us that he kind of threw a party with his other sinner buddies. And he invited Jesus so that the sinner buddies could have their own time uninterrupted to meet the same Jesus that, that he met just days or moments ago. So not only did Jesus invite a disreputable man to follow him, now he's sitting down eating and even partying in obviously an appropriate way with disreputable people. This is unbelievable. Look at verse 15. 
And it came to pass that as Jesus sat at meat in his house, many publicans and sinners sat also together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many. And they followed him. Question. Why would Jesus make such a socially risky move to eat and hang out with a bunch of sinners? I mean, these people were straight up vile. They weren't casual sinners. They didn't just sin on the weekend. These people had a lifestyle of sinful choices. They were the kind of people that parents told their kids to stay away from. Why would Jesus move into their world? Here's why. Because he saw them through the eyes of a doctor. And he saw hurts that God could heal. However, there was another group of religious elitists called the Pharisees. And they didn't really appreciate that Jesus was eating with disreputable people. Look at verse 16. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eat with publicans and sinners, they said unto his disciples, How is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? To the Pharisees, Jesus was at the wrong place with the wrong people. To them, Jesus' moving into the world of sinners was actually accepting their lifestyle. The Pharisees were a religious group of people in Israel who tried to follow the Old Testament law to the nth degree, and here's why. So as to separate themselves from and appear to be superior to any evil influence. They worked hard to add things to the Old Testament law that weren't even there and didn't even matter. And if you didn't measure up to even their elevated standards, they lumped you into one big category of people that they like to call sinners. So you can imagine how horrifying it was for these religious elitists to see this man who claimed to be the Messiah go into the house full of these wicked sinners. Even worse, it appeared that he was enjoying himself. You can study in the original Greek that phrase, eateth and drinketh, has a party nature to it. It's not stopping by and eating a taco at Taco Bell than going on your day. We're talking about eating and laughing and enjoying it. And so when the party ended and Jesus' disciples began to come out of the house, Jesus wasn't there yet, but the Pharisees cornered Jesus' disciples. And they says, how is, how is it that he eateth with them kind of people? Why does he do that? You understand they weren't asking for information, right? You understand that? They were actually saying things in an accusatory manner. They were expressing their disapproval over the fact that this so-called Savior shouldn't be rubbing elbows with these real-life sinners. And the text tells us that Jesus somehow hears the question. I'm guessing it's because he's God. And he doesn't have to be in the conversation to understand what you, under, what, what you say. And he doesn't, even have to, uh, he, he doesn't even have to be in the conversation to understand what you really mean by what you say. And so he goes and... He's going to answer their question. And watch here. How he answers their question actually becomes our pattern today for how we should behave toward sinners. Look at verse 17. When Jesus heard it, he saith unto him, They that are whole have no need of the physician, of the doctor. But they that are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus is saying, watch, that it makes as much sense for us to stay away from lost sinners 
as it does for a doctor to stay away from sick people. If you go to an urgent care, number one, you're going to be really sick to go into an urgent care. If you're not really sick, you're going to get really sick by going to an urgent care. And so you're desperate for healing, right? And let's imagine you go to the front desk. you got all these kids running around coughing and snotting everywhere. And you go to the desk and say, I need to check in. I need to see the doctor. What's wrong? Well, my throat hurts. I've got a fever. It's not good. Okay, have a seat. Well, how long is it going to be? I don't know. The doctor's not here. What do you mean the doctor's not here? Well, he didn't want to risk getting sick today. <laughs> that would be crazy. Ludicrous. The doctor can't heal the sick unless he's among the sick. That is, unless, you know, they have like Skype doctors now. No, I was just in Phoenix. A mom was driving down the interstate. Her throat started hurting. And so she Skyped or, or FaceTimed or something, her doctor, and, and they have those now. That's crazy. Those aren't doctors. Those are lazy people. I would like it, though. It would be kind of cool. But Jesus is saying it makes no sense for a doctor to stay away from the sick because then a doctor can't heal what he's not among. And Jesus says in the same way it makes no sense for saved people to stay away from the lost when we can offer them a greater healing that only God can bring. Did you notice a striking contrast between Jesus and the Pharisees? Even in their location, Jesus was inside of the house reaching sinners while Pharisees were outside of the house criticizing sinners. What caused the drastic difference? Why did Jesus move into their world even though it was socially risky? And why did the Pharisees refuse to do so? I'll tell you why. Because of how they saw sinners. Jesus saw sinners through the eyes of a doctor, and the Pharisees saw them through the eyes of a judge. And that's where we're introduced to the overarching truth of why this parable or why this story is in the Bible. And it's in a statement. How you see sinners determines how you reach sinners. Let that sink in. If you see sinners through the eyes of a judge, you see choices that God should punish, and it affects the way you reach them, you'll stay as far away from them as you possibly can. Their behavior will repulse you to the point where you can't even be near it. And you think you're sanctified in doing so. But if you see sinners through the eyes of a doctor, you see hurts that only God can heal. And that affects the way you move towards sinners. You move into their world, even in an attempt to bring them the spiritual healing that only God can bring. So I guess the question for us all today is this. How do you see sinners? Do you see them through the eyes of a judge? Or do you see them through the eyes of a doctor? Do you see them like the Pharisees? Or do you see them like Jesus? When you go through the checkout line at Walmart, do you see that cashier through the eyes of a doctor? Or does her appearance and her attitude and her lack of, of, of social etiquette repulse you to the point of seeing her through the eyes of a judge? When you see that deadbeat dad at work who has a terrible reputation, do you see him through the eyes of a doctor? Or do you th see him through the eyes of a judge because you can't get over his immorality? When you get invited to hang out with sinners, whether that be through a softball league or a class reunion or a 
work Christmas party? Do you see those invita invitations as opportunities to move into the world of sinners? And does, or does their sin and their carnality and their lifestyle cause you to stay inside of your sanctified bubble, polish your halo, and criticize them outside of the house like a Pharisee? I'm just trying to say, by all means today, move into the world of a sinner with the eyes of a doctor and see their hurts for something that only God can heal. You know you have the tendencies of a Pharisee if you're struggling with this message today. Well, I teach my kids to stay away from them. I ain't going to eat with them because if I'm seen with them, then that hurts my testimony. And I refuse to be around that. And I refuse to be around this. Well, then you're not taking Jesus' example as literal. Because he teaches that you can be connected with sinners without being contaminated by them. He teaches that you can be a transformer without being a conformer. He teaches that you can go to a Christmas party, connect with your coworkers in an effort to influence them for Christ, but you don't have to drink to do it. He teaches that you can play softball with lost friends so as to connect with them and influence them for Christ, but you don't have to talk crudely to do it. He teaches us that you can take a guy to lunch that has a horrible reputation and risk being misunderstood so as to be his friend and influence him for Christ. But you don't have to be influenced by his lack of morality in order to do it. Jesus set the standard for us as, as, as children of God. And he made it okay for us to move into the world of sinners because he knew one thing. You will never be able to reach a world you refuse to touch. Are you inside of the house with sinners? Are you outside of the house criticizing them? It's a good question, isn't it? Especially for us would-be Pharisees in this room. Who become so comfortable in our sanctified bubble. And maybe unintentionally look down our spiritual noses. To people that have different habits, different lifestyles, and different relationships. And never once does it cross our mind. Maybe I should move into their world to change their life. Yet we sit around a kitchen table and we gossip and we condemn and we judge. God help us to get inside the house with the eyes of a doctor and see hurts that only God can heal. Thought about how this might apply directly to our church. I think two very timely things are applicable to this message. One would be the journal we made available to you at the beginning of the year. You might say, what is that? Well, if you don't have one, they're for free. They're at the Resource Center today. I want to recommend that you go by and get one if you're at all interested in reaching people and moving into the world of sinners. Because this Reach Your One journal has four steps to reach your one. Well, it has five because the first step is choose your one. Church members that were here and have this book, have you even chose your one? Or do you even know where this is laying around in the house? Do you have any marks in this journal whatsoever? Are you just randomly hoping that maybe you'll be able to invite someone to church one day? We created a journal because we don't randomly invite people to church one day. We need a plan. We need a structure. We need accountability. Well, it's, it's hard. I'm outside of the house. I don't know any sinners. They're all saved. 
Exactly. I'm a stay-at-home mom. Then maybe you should take your kid to the library. Sit down with other center moms. With center kids. After you've been there two or three times, ask them their name. Since if they go to church anywhere. Invite them to Easter. Don't have to look very far to find something to do in this community connected with sinners. Are you with me? After you've chose your one, then you pray for your one. I, I found that I've, I, I had three people on my journal. One's already been saved and baptized for God's glory. And the other two, I, it, in my humanity, I'm thinking they'll never get saved. But I'm praying for them every day. And it's amazing. When I actually started praying for, for, for these, it's crazy the kind of doors God has opened for me for interaction. It, those doors might have been open all along, but when I pray for them, I'm more sensitive to them. And it's just amazing. When I actually made it a part, it's, on the, it, it's right there on the bottom of my prayer list, Monday through uh, Sunday. And then step number two is love your one. Just find a way to love on them. Send them a card. Shoot them a text. Buy them a gift. Feed your one. People like food. Jesus met with sinners around a table. And invite your one. If you want one of these, I think you ought to pick one up. It'll help you get inside the house. See people through the eyes of a doctor. Church members, if you haven't even started this, it's almost April. Let's get after it. Reach your one. You might be wondering what the cross is up there for with a little box. First of all, it's up there because that's a new way of taking offering. If you really love Jesus, you're going to come and put a hundred in there this morning. Not really. The, the cross is there because we have Easter on April the 21st, about a month from today. We're going to have two services, one at 9 a.m. and one at 11 a.m. Last year, the Lord enabled us to have the biggest day we've ever had on a single Sunday. We had 709 people come for Easter services, and they all heard the gospel. Very thankful for that. We're going to have the same exact structure this year. Service at 9 and a service at 11. We're going to have an Easter outreach on the 13th where our church is invited to come out at 12 o'clock, hear a devotion from our pastor, and then we're going to hand out seven to 8,000 invites to people's door. You don't have to knock on the door. You just go and you, you put it inside the door and you go to the next door. And We call it canvassing. And it's very, very easy, but when the church comes together, it's amazing. We take our kids out there and they run down the streets and put them in doorknobs. It's amazing. You ought to get involved in that. It's a great opportunity. But we want you to take a, that a step further. And we want you to try to get in, inside the house of a sinner yourself. Someone God's put in your path at work, in your family, at school. And we want you to take one of these. They're located in the seat back pockets in front of you. There's two in every seat. If you don't get one, then come and find Brother Mike. He'll give you one. And on this card, it says, this year I plan to invite. And you, you write their name. And it says invited by, and you write your name. And you come and you drop this in that box. Well, why are we doing that? Well, because every week, Brother Sid's going to, Tack all these up to the cross. Over the course of the next three or four weeks, we're hoping that these accumulate and you can't even see the wood on the cross. These represent people that Jesus died for. Souls that Jesus wants to redeem, purchase with his blood, save and take to heaven one day. And we're asking you to let the Lord put somebody on your heart specific. And, and, and a week before Easter, 
We're going to take all of these down from the cross. Or at least take a, a, a list of, of the names. And that, this won't be up during Easter Sunday, so you don't have to worry about that. Um, it'll be taken down before that Sunday. But a week before, on a Sunday night service, we're going to take a good majority of the service to pray for every single person. Listen, church. If everybody invites somebody, we might need about three or four crosses. And we might need three services. Would you take this personally? Would you take it seriously? You will if you see sinners through the eyes of the doctor. It's the last time you invited somebody to church. Last time you saw somebody else at work. Not through the eyes of a judge with all you could see is sinful choices that God should punish, but you saw them through the eyes of a doctor when nobody would, and you saw hurts that God can heal. I want to close with the lyric of a song. I want you all to get ready to play There is a Fountain Filled with Blood in the Key of C, please. The song says this, I stepped out on a busy street. See a girl in our eyes meet, does her best to smile at me, to hide what's underneath. There's a man just to her right. He has a black suit and a bright red tie. He's too ashamed to tell his wife that he's out of work and he's buying time. All those people going somewhere. Why have I never cared? Songwriter says, give me your eyes for just one second. Give me your eyes so I can see. Everything that I keep missing, give me your love for humanity. Give me your arms for the brokenhearted, the ones that are far beyond my reach. Give me your heart for the one forgotten. Lord, give me your eyes so I can see. Stand to your feet, every head bowed.